0: In his name we pray, amen. As you're being seated, find Psalm 136, Psalm 136. As I said earlier, there are several folks out sick this morning, and um, I know uh, that's just a part of life, right, getting sick and passing that stuff around, and. I know some of you might be here this morning and you're tired, and some might be here this morning worried about some different things going on in life, um, stressed. I don't know, some might have showed up even a little grumpy this morning. I don't know. You can bump the person beside you if that's them, but um, that happens. But I pray that as we go through Psalm 136 today, no matter what you're dealing with, whether it's sickness, stress, grumpiness whatever it is, that thanksgiving toward God and worship and praise toward God would be so clear and abundant in your life and in your heart that, that all the other stuff could be pushed out to the side. That we would um, drown drown our worry and stress and fears and all these other things. In praise to God. I think the old hymn had it right when it told us to count our many blessings and do what? Name them one by one. Because if we spend time thinking about all the reasons we have to be thankful, if we spend our time thinking about all the blessings that God has given us, we sure won't have a whole lot of time left to worry and complain like I'm prone to do sometimes. And so in this psalm, I'm challenging myself and I'm challenging you to, to consider how we should put aside pity parties, put aside our own agendas, our own stresses, and think on what it means as believers in Christ to truly give thanks unto the Lord. That our attitudes of selfishness and attitudes of, Me first would be squashed by thanksgiving. Time and time again, the Bible, from the Old to the New Testament, tells us to give thanks to Him. And time and time again, Old and New Testament, it tells us to praise Him. So let's read this psalm of thanksgiving and praise. If you found verse 1, say word. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endures forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endures forever. And made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the red sea for his mercy endures forever to him which led his people through the wilderness for his mercy endures forever to him which smote great kings for his mercy endures forever and slew famous kings for his mercy endures forever sahan king of the amorites for his mercy endures forever and og the king of bashan for his mercy Endureth forever, and gave their land for inheritance. heritage, for his mercy endures forever. Even an heritage unto Israel, his servant, for his mercy endures forever. Who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endures forever, and hath redeemed us from our enemies, for his mercy endures forever who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. Feels like a whole sermon just reading that psalm. Let me give you five points this morning on this psalm. And the first one and the last one are the longest. The middle three are quick. The first one is this. See the steadfast love of God in His goodness. See the steadfast love of God in His goodness. Look again at verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is what? Good. I was thinking about the goodness of God this week and just the word itself, good, and thinking about growing up as a child and hearing that word, and I think for me, growing up with siblings and cousins nearby, we would go outside a lot and play, right? We would play cowboys and Indians. We would play war and all these different kinds of games, right? Make-believe games. And until we got old enough to buy paintball guns, and then it got real. <laughs> but we played these games, but we all, I always wanted to be the good guy. I just always did. I want to be the good guy and defeat the bad guy, right? It's what little boys usually do. And I think as I grew up, that that kind of stuck with me. And so you watch movies and Who do we usually side with in a movie? Not all the time, but we usually side with the good guy. We sympathize with the good guy. We want to be the good guy, not all the time, but most of the time. And so we have this concept, uh, even as a young child, of what it means to be good versus evil or good versus bad. But as we grow older and as we especially look at what it means for God to be good, we understand that the only true standard of goodness in this world is God. He's the only true standard of goodness because my best good is really not that good, is it? The Bible says in Romans, there is none good. No, not one. And so we understand that, but God is the true standard of goodness, which is why we sang that song this morning, and first, that's the first time I ever led that song, but God is good all the time, right? To put that in our hearts and our minds that God is the ultimate good guy, if you will. Whatever he says is good, Whatever he does is good. God is consistently good. How about this? God doesn't know how to be anything else but good. Right? He's just good. He's ordained our steps. He directs our lives. Think about this. He's directed your life. He's directed your steps. He's directed your journey, your path. In every step of that way, you can trust him because he is good. So he deserves our thanks. How many of you doubt things from time to time? How many of you worry? How many of us worry daily? We don't have to be filled with doubt and worry because we serve a God who is good. The Psalms um, give us a lot of this. The Psalms often talk about the the goodness of God. I want to give you a few of these. You can jot these down and I'll read them quickly. But Psalm 25, 8 and 9 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 27, 13 says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 31, 19 says, O Lord, how abundant is your goodness. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 107:1 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord. It sounds like this. O oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. In Psalm one nineteen sixty eight, 68, which we studied last week, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. I want to drive this point home to us this morning that when we aren't good, he still is good. When I don't feel good, he still is good. When I receive the blessing I prayed for, he is good. And if I don't receive the blessing I prayed for, he's still good, right? If I don't get the things I want, he's good. In my greatest victories, he is good. But in my worst defeats, can you say it with me, he is good. Uh, one of Aiden's friends is the same age as Aiden, graduated this year. Last weekend, he went to a concert in the Memphis area with his, I guess, a girlfriend, a friend, and they were driving home late. I think it was close to midnight, and driving home I-22 from Memphis back toward the New Albany area, and this young man's name is Jack, and Jack's driving his truck, a, a new truck, and as Jack's driving down the highway at 70, 75 miles an hour, uh, the way he recalls it is out of nowhere, there's a man standing in the, in the road. And Jack had no time to do anything. He tried he tried to move over, but at that speed, he hit, I don't know if y'all heard the story, but he hit this man at 75 miles an hour. And the, the truck's bashed in, the, the hood comes up, and he's just trying to, you know, not die, right, trying to survive, and um, Jack's able to get the truck to a stop, and him and his passengers survived. Of course, the man that they hit who, who happened to be a hitchhiker from Georgia, did not survive, obviously. Um, and so I know this story because um, I've become friends recently with Jack's dad. And Jack's dad came to me and he was telling me this story uh, Monday, you know, the, right after it happened this past week. And I talked to him about every day this week about it. He would say, look, Jack's struggling with just the emotion of what happened, right? I said, I, I can't imagine, but he'll live with that the rest of his life, right, That 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 tragedy. And I've talked with his his father again every day about it, and it was Friday, we were discussing it, and in the midst of his conversation, and I had not told him my text for this week, I had not told him what I was preaching this week or anything like that. This man is talking with tears in his eyes about what his son has been through, but how thankful he was that his son is okay. But he knows he's not really okay, right? There's emotions he's going through. But in the middle of his statement to me, he said, you know what? He said, but I'll say this, God is good. And I was like, wow, because I've been studying that, thinking about that all week, right? And here's somebody going through a really tough thing, and he says, with all sincerity, God is good. Can we say, even when life is not good, can we truly say, he is good? I hope you can, because that is the perspective of God that we need. That is a biblical God. A God who can be trusted even when life seems like it's fallen apart. Even if we go through the worst possible tragedy we can imagine, to say he's still good is the perspective of God we need. One of my favorite Bible verses is Genesis fifty twenty, Genesis 50, verse 20. And it's the story of Joseph. And I'll give you the quick version. Most of you know it. But Joseph has these brothers, and they're jealous of him, and they sell him into slavery. They basically leave him for dead. Then they sell him into slavery. He gets a good job at Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife tries to come on to him. She ends up lying on him, and he ends up going to prison, right? And while he's there, he he thinks he's going to get out, and some things happen. He has to stay there longer than expected. Finally, if you know the story of Joseph, he's able to get out of jail, and not only does he get out of jail, but God brings him to second in power in Egypt, and, and he's put in charge of the food in a time when famine is about to approach the land. And so the story of Joseph is his brothers basically got rid of him. Every time it seemed like things were going okay, you know, he went through trials. And at the end of Genesis, Joseph's brothers and Joseph's family are suffering because of the famine, and they come to Egypt looking for food, and guess who's in charge of the food? Right? Joseph. They think he's dead. Once they realize that it's Joseph, their brother, he tells them, I'm your brother. Of course, they're, they're I think, terrified um, of what he might do to them. But Joseph, in such a godly, mature perspective of who God is, in Genesis 50-20, listen to what Joseph said to his brothers who, put him in, who sold him into slavery, left him for dead, did not care about him in that way, He said this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive even today. Can we have this perspective that says, No matter what my worst enemy does to me, God can and will and does use that for his glory and for my good. Can we have that perspective? And so I hope you do, and and, and I hope I always have that perspective and, and never lose it, because when we do, sometimes we're just going to come to church and give God thanks. Sometimes we're just going to sing loud and praise Him. Sometimes we might close our eyes in prayer. Sometimes we might kneel down or raise our hands or sit quietly or whatever it is. Sometimes we might give to our neighbors, serve someone in the church, Because we are living in this overflow of thanksgiving and praise to a God who always does good and right toward us in every situation we face. See the steadfast love of God in His goodness. Number two, see the steadfast love of God in His creation. Verses 2 and 3 Say, give thanks to him, he's the God of gods, he's the Lord of lords. And so we see that he is creator, and we thank him and praise him for his deity, he is God. I'm going to make a statement, and you should either amen out loud or at least amen in your heart. We believe the God of the Bible is the one and only true God. You should be an amen either in your heart or out loud. If we're not worshiping the God of the Bible, then we are not worshiping God. If we're not worshiping the God of the Bible, we are worshiping a figment of our imagination. And surely, in that case, you're actually just worshiping yourself, because you came up with your idea of God. So we worship the God of the Bible. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. So he's deserving of our thanks and praise. In verses 4 through 9, it talks about our God being creator. And I won't go back through all those verses again. You can look at them, but it talks about what he created and and we, we don't debate this in here, right? I hope not. We believe God created all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Aiden is finding out at college that uh, not everyone believes like we do. <laughs> Y'all need to talk to him about some stories he's got from one week in college. But I'm thankful that he has been around uh, enough biblical teaching, I hope and pray, That when he hears some really ridiculous stuff, like he's heard this first week, he knows where his foundation lies. And he does. I just pray he doesn't get kicked out for stuff he says to them. But we don't debate this. We know, we trust, and we praise God because he is creator of all things. And what did God use to create all things? Did God take some stuff and make it into other stuff? Spoken into existence. He took nothing... And created. That's how God creates. We have to take something and make it into something else, right? God, from nothing, made everything. And he said it, he said, let there be light. He said it with his voice. Number three, see the steadfast love of God, not only in his goodness, not only in his creation, but see the steadfast love of God in the history of redemption. I don't know about you, but as someone who loves to read the Bible, I love verses 10 through 22, because every line of those verses reminds me of something I've read or heard from the Old Testament, right? And so you're, as you hear those, you're kind of like, yeah, I remember that. remember a little bit about that. I remember something about that. And again, not to go through all of this um, for time's sake this morning, but we understand that that verse 10 talks about the the time where Israel is in slavery in Egypt, and God brings the plagues, right? Moses comes, and they bring the plagues, and the worst of those plagues was the striking down the firstborn sons of Egypt. It talks about God delivering them out, leading them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and when they're stuck at the Red Sea, God divides it so they can go through, and it talks about God destroying the enemies of Israel, Pharaoh and his host. It talks about God being with them in the wilderness and defeating kings. It mentions two kings here by name that God defeated and allowed them to defeat. And it even mentions in verses 21 and 22 that God brought them to a final land. It's interesting that even in the New Testament, there's always this pointing back to stuff in the Old Testament. And they're always, it's always this thing of, why do we have to do this Passover celebration every year? Why do, why do the, the Jews do this Passover celebration? It's a remembrance, right? To remember what God did way back then, and remember not only what He did, but remember remember why He did it, and to remind them to remind them now to trust what He did then, and you can trust what He does now. As I read ten through twenty-two this week, I was thinking about how it's such a parallel for our salvation. Follow me on this. The children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, slaves, right? Not free, but slaves. Before we come to Christ, we are slaves to sin, in bondage, not free. How did God get them out of there? How did God deliver them? Well, the main way is that firstborn son where the death angel came through and struck struck down the firstborn son, right? After that, Pharaoh's like, y'all get out of here, y'all go. But how did the people of Israel survive that death angel? You know the story. God said, take this perfect lamb, this perfect sacrifice, and kill it. Wipe the blood on the doorpost. And when the death angel sees that, what will he do? He will pass over your house. Your firstborn son will live. And so while the firstborn sons of Egypt were being slaughtered, the firstborn sons of Israel were saved, resting under the blood of the lamb. And in the same way, we are saved by trusting in the blood of the perfect Lamb of God, Christ. How about this? They come to the Red Sea. They're stuck. They don't know what to do. How many of us have gone through a Christian life and you come to a roadblock, you don't know what to do, and God makes a way? After they went through the Red Sea, they they were thirsty, they were hungry. And what did God do? brought water from a rock, brought food from the sky fed them. He, he gave them drink. God provides for us in our lives. They go through the wilderness just like we go through seasons of trial and struggle and ultimately, as we saw in verses 21 and 22, he brings them to the promised land and ultimately, we sang about it this morning, we know our God will lead us to our eternal promised land as well. So see the steadfast love of God through the history of Redemption, And that leads me to number four, see the steadfast love of God in our salvation. I see this in verses 23 through 25, because he turns it on himself and says, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state. It's he who's rescued us from our foes. And verse 25, he who provides for us. In those verses, I think of how we come to God. As needy children, needing His redemption, needing His salvation, needing His protection, and needing His provision. See the love of God in our salvation. You have to, right? The fact that God would save sinners like us points to His love. That He loved us, what's the verse say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We see Romans 5 8, God demonstrates his love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See the love of God in your salvation. My fifth and final point. Respond. The first four points were this. See the love of God. See the mercy of God. See his grace. See his kindness. The fifth point is respond To the steadfast love of God with thanksgiving and praise. Look at verse 26. As he concludes here, he says, Give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. Let me ask you an honest question. When I was reading the text earlier, did you notice a refrain? A repeated phrase. If you were awake, you noticed a repeating phrase. Kendall, put a verse up there. I don't care. Pick any verse. There's 26 verses. Just pick one. Your favorite. All right. For his mercy endures forever. Pick another one, Kendall. Any other verse. I don't care where you go. That was 17. That's 26. For his mercy endures forever. Do you see the refrain? And so I'm I'm reading this this week, kind of talking to my Bible like, um, God, is that necessary? Is it necessary to keep repeating this phrase over and over again in every single verse 26 times? God, how many times do you need to say it for me to get it? And I guess the answer is 26. That's how many times he said it. And I I was thinking about that, how there's sometimes we, and I've done this and some of you have done this, there's some Christian songs we may not like because they, they get repetitive. And I think there are some songs that are not worth a dime that are repetitive. And maybe they maybe they're repetitive with bad theology, or they're repetitive um, in a way that's just trying to drive emotion more than you know biblical praise. But all of our songs, most of our songs, have some type of repetition, musically, lyrically. We sing, we sing a refrain, a chorus. But God determined, the Holy Spirit decided that in Psalm one thirty six, His people, us. We needed to hear a certain refrain over and over and over again. And that refrain is this. His mercy endures forever. Why is it repeated? I mean, so that we would learn it and so that we would praise him for it. Again, how many of us, how many of us, their songs come on the radio and you don't really know the verse, but the chorus gets there and you can start singing. Y'all know songs like that? You don't know the verse, but when the chorus gets there, you're singing real loud. That happens in church sometimes in here. I'll sing to a verse on the chorus, I hear you all a little bit louder. It's, the chorus is repeated, so what happens? You know it better. How about this? How about another illustration? Um, advertisements, commercials. Aren't some of those people experts at what they do? They'll play a commercial, you hear that jingle, and it gets stuck in your head. And I've had, I, have a, I have one song in my head from when I was in high school, some local pawn shop commercial. I don't know what it was from where I grew up. And it had this, I, I still remember the phone number they would sing on there because it just they kept repeating it. I would see it over and over again. You ever seen a commercial come on like two times in a row back to back? What am I doing? But they know, right? They know if that gets in front of our face, what's going to happen? We're going to remember it, and we may want to go shop there. Hi, here's another example. Um, I don't know. I'm assuming this happens in kindergarten at schools now, but kids – at most schools I think still do the Pledge of Allegiance, right? John Addison, do y'all do the Pledge of Allegiance? Okay, I figured you did. I do the Pledge of Allegiance with eighth graders every day, and no eighth grader comes into my class and goes, I don't know the worst of this. Can you put it up on, can you pull it up? Why? They learned it in kindergarten or first grade. And so that we they've we do that, we do that two reasons to honor the country, but also that puts it in their mind, right? So we could stand right now and do the Pledge of Allegiance and we would all know the words because it's been repeated. So again, this phrase that God has given us in Psalm 136 26 times is put here that we might meditate on it this morning and think on it. Kendall, put it back up there for me. Any verse. For His mercy endures forever. This phrase put here that we might Think on it, about his mercy or his loving kindness. I've been saying his steadfast love. But his goodness toward us endures forever. And I wonder if it's because God knew that we would be prone to doubt his love, doubt his mercy, doubt his grace. Do you think God knew we would be like, at times, not sure how much he really loves us? And so he put in here, his mercy endures forever. Puritan John Owens said, the worst thing we can do is to doubt God's love for us. And yet, if we're honest, things happen in life, and we doubt. We wonder, does God, does God love me? Is God even there? Is God here in my, in my situation? And Psalm 136 says time and time again, His mercy toward His people endures forever. I think so many people in our generation, my generation, have been abandoned by people who love them. Um, And I think people live with mental and emotional issues because of that, abandonment issues or whatever you want to call it. And this might affect some of us in here today, that maybe you were abandoned by a parent or a spouse or some other loved one. And I think that people that live with this kind of stuff and don't really deal with it, I think they they end up with this fear of people leaving them. And again, I don't know if I'm speaking to anybody this morning, but I, I know people like this that have this fear that people who love them the most might leave them. This is a terrible segue. Speaking of that, we have a few anniversaries from this past week in the church. Paul Jr. And Michelle celebrated thirty-four years. I know John Esson and Gracie and Blair and Cooper all recently celebrated on the other end of the spectrum, one year. Right, one year, thirty-four years, and other another other anniversaries in here. And thinking about the people, the person you love the most, your spouse, and thirty-four years of marriage, one year of marriage, and October I'll be married for twenty years, and. This is something Jesse and I have actually discussed even recently, so I don't think she'll mind me sharing this even though she's not here. Um, and I hope this doesn't jinx me. But I have zero, I have zero thoughts or concerns about her abandoning me. I, just, I don't worry about that whatsoever. Is that weird? Should I worry? Should I be a little worried? I have no, I don't, I don't worry about that at all. And I think she would say the same about me. And, I, um, But I think if I did, if I did have some kind of jealousy like that or some kind of worry about that, that would really be a terrible way to live, right? Because I, every time she was late from work, I'd be like, where is she at, whatever. I never checked Life 360. Like, she's fine. She's just working late. I don't worry about that. And I think if I did, I would be worried that every time I made her mad, which is often, she would run out and leave me. <laughs> or every time I did something dumb, which is often, She'd be like, "Ugh, I'm I'm done with you. But I don't worry about that whatsoever. Even when we get into a really bad argument, which happens every once in a while, I have no doubt that probably later that same day we're going to make up. My point is this. If you are living in the freedom that the person you love the most and trust the most is going to be there with you, then you don't have to live in Fear. And again, I think there's a real freedom to that. and I have enough other stuff to worry about in life besides besides that. Here's here's the point of that. If you see God as a father who could run away from you at any moment because he might lose interest or he might stop loving you or because you might say or do something wrong, then you're not seeing God the Father as the Bible has laid out. God the Father is does not leave his people when they mess up. He does not leave us when we go astray. He's the shepherd, right? What does the shepherd do when the sheep goes astray? He goes and finds the lost sheep. He provides a way for us. So I want you to see this and and live in the freedom that God, your Father, even when you fall, even when you fail, will not abandon you. Though everyone else in this world actually might or could, he never will. Psalm 23 says it this way, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Those whom God loves the most, his people, he will never leave. His steadfast love, His kindness, His grace, His mercy doesn't last for a season, doesn't last for a year. His mercy doesn't even last for just a lifetime, does it? His mercy endures forever. So us who are in Christ should have a heart full of thanksgiving and praise that we have a God whose mercy endures forever. I want you all to stand with me. Kendall, put that on verse 1. So when the people of Israel would use this psalm in their worship, the priest or the leader would read or chant the first part, And then the congregation would repeat the refrain, for his mercy endures forever. And I thought this would be a good way for us to conclude this service, conclude this sermon, and just let our hearts be full of thanksgiving and praise to do it kind of like they did it. And so I'll read the first part of every verse, and we'll all say together the refrain, and every time it's going to be the same, for his mercy endures forever. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him that by wisdom Made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. To him that smote Egypt and their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand, with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endures forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endures forever. And made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. To him which smote great kings, for his mercy endures forever. And slew famous kings, for his mercy endures forever. Sahan king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. And Og the king of Bashan, for his mercy endures forever. And gave their land for a heritage, for his mercy endures forever. Even a heritage unto Israel his servant, for his mercy endures forever. Who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endures forever. And hath redeemed us from our enemies, for his mercy endures forever who giveth food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. Let's pray.